This is the roller coaster on which we live and you need to learn to navigate that. We're no longer going to go back to living on the prairie and it takes seven days for a note to get to me <laughs> that says I need to change something. I can get that in, you know, in less than a second. Yeah. Here's a note, everybody. We are not Laura Ingalls. <laughs> we are not went- Laura Ingalls. We are not living on the prairie. There's yep. a few notes that I wish would take seven days. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Warners, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, the podcast that makes business sexy again. I'm Gina Tremarco, master sales trainer with Sales Gravy, who's also the sponsor of this show. And I'm Rachel Pitts, mommy, wifey, mortgage loan officer with U.S. Mortgage and creator of Your Ultra Fit Lifestyle. Another awesome episode we got in the house today with Meredith Elliott Powell, who's been on the show before. Delightful then, even more delightful today. I don't know why I'm using the word delightful, but this episode is just, I don't know. I had a lot of coffee today, but this this episode is filled with like so many takeaways and the best one coming at the tail end of the show. Yeah, you'll have to stay oh to, my the gosh. Whole, to the whole bit because the end is pretty hot. I hope she doesn't kill us for what we did to her at the end, but... No, I, I she think was brilliant. Notes. I think she thought it... I think it was brilliant. I was thinking you should have asked for maybe like 5%. <laughs> should have been putting my negotiation skills in place. I always got the big <laughs> ideas, but that's, you know, hey... It all comes back to you. Yeah, that's right. It's a giver's game. Uh, you got any takeaways from this episode you want to share? Oh, God, so many takeaways. Um, obviously, success is not logical, is a big takeaway. Also, just we talk a lot about the best way to to grow your business is to grow from the inside out and and speak to your existing customers and, and, and really listen more than speak, listen. Yeah. And common sense, right? I mean, common sense. Um, it's always good to hear it again along those lines she used the phrase shed fast and keep moving. And I think that was a, you know, powerful underlying theme to this show along with being, um, Relentless, having relentless vision. Uh, as we get ready to play this episode for you, a little bit about Meredith that you should know. And Meredith will be a speaker live and in person and outbound. And we got her to make a commitment to us. But you have to listen to the episode to hear it. So a little bit about Meredith. She is award-winning author, keynote speaker, and business strategist. She was voted one of the top 15 business growth experts to watch by Currency Fair and top 41 motivational sales speakers. With a background in corporate sales and leadership, her career expands over several industries, including banking, healthcare, and finance. Meredith worked her way up from an entry-level position to earn her seat at the C-suite at table. She is a certified speaking professional, a designation held by less than 12% of professional speakers. I don't got that. <laughs> she has she has a cutting-edge message rooted in real-life examples and real-world knowledge. She is the author of six books. She's my hero, including her latest Cut Through the Excuses and Send Sales Through the Roof, and Who 
comes next, Leadership Succession Made Easy. Um, what was the name of her newest? She's got her newest Rise. book. It's called Un- uh, Uncertainty Redefined. Uncertainty Redefined is her newest book that's coming out in June. I'm excited about getting a copy of that. Meredith helps her clients learn the strategies they need to turn uncertainty to competitive advantage. I think you are going to get so much out of this episode, Warners. Sit back and enjoy all of this amazing stuff. Boom, boom, Meredith Powell. Boom, 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 boom <laughs> Meredith Powell in the house. <laughs> Welcome back to the Women Your Mother Warns You About. I am excited to be back on this show with you ladies. So I remember excited. that background with the wood, I so know. I brought it my own wood this time. <laughs> right. Is that is that why you brought in the wood? <laughs> no, I just love the I love her back background. I'm trying to level up my background and like my camera. I, that's why I asked about my bookshelf because before the camera was like here, and now it, oh. it went like this, and I'm like, oh well, at least my bookshelf is sort of. Bookshelf is yeah. like acceptable, but I kind of was like going for this. Hey, I, I sent you a link for um, I know, a cool I backdrop it. company that we're recommending. Yep. Saw it. Saw it. Thank you. I think I'm actually going to get one, even though I got all this schwankiness going on. I, I want to get one. I've got, I, I work here and then I just have it in my studio redone for the third time. I'm going to have three sets down there. Look at you. Oh. oh my goodness. I'm planning on staying in my house forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that is a really great segue to jump into this episode, because the last time we had you on the show, it was the beginning, I think, the beginning of when things were crashing and burning at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and I, I went to re-listen to our, that episode today as well. It's just kind of interesting. It's like a year later. Yeah. A year later. You know, my biggest question for you is... A year later, what, <laughs> you know, where's your headspace? What's happened for you? What have you seen in the past year? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, I think when we first did this, whoever thought we would still be sitting here in this exact same spot uh, a year later? I mean, you know, at the most, it was like, you know, summer, maybe that we all thought we'd be back somewhere in fall. And I just had a speaking engagement. I was supposed to be in Milan speaking in September, and they just called me and pushed me to 2022. And so I think kind of where, um, where I am is I have embraced the suck. I have moved beyond the sucked and I'm really excited about the future. I mean, I think that what's going to happen is when, you know, everybody's to a point where we can get back together, we're going to do this huge boomerang, come back together, all love all over each other, and then realize there were advantages to not leaving the house and slowing our lives down. And we'll find some type of balance between the two. What's been the biggest, what's been the biggest advantage for you to not leave the house? My God, I have a life. I don't even know how I travel right? 200 days um, uh, a year. My life used to be get up, catch a plane at six o'clock in the morning, go somewhere, do my song and dance, go to the airport, get delayed, get somewhere home around 11 or 1130 and catch another flight. Now my life is get up at five o'clock in the morning, walk my puppy, come home, work. I go play tennis. I go play golf. I go for a mountain bike ride. I work some more. I have a life. And the biggest shock to me is how much my husband and I get along. Like, oh my God, here we are. You're later and we like each other. I'm just blown away by that. Bonus. How long have you been married? I have been married for 18 okay. years. 
That's awesome. Yeah, and that doesn't always work for people that are used no. to having somebody gone and have space. Yeah, so that's yeah. good. So good for you. A- yeah, good sign. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. it's so interesting. I, I work from home primarily at this point too. And what I've discovered, and I just had a, a conversation with my branch manager at US Mortgage about this, that I'm it's like a, almost an hour drive for me to get to our office. So that's two hours out of my day max that I'm driving. And since I've worked from home, I'm 10 times more productive that I don't have to get ready, look presentable, go to the go to the office, lose all that drive time because I can't work while I drive. And, um, it, it's, it is profound. Like I'm just, I've 10 X for sure this past year. I, yeah. I remember when yeah. you first started with us mortgage and I think it was in the v- very beginning of our podcast, which we're in our third season now, which, Oh, wow. congratulations. Thank, thank you. And, um, thank you. Sales gravy, the sponsor of this show. Um, <laughs> gotta remember that our third season kicking off with sales gravy as our sponsor. I remember when you took that job and I was like, how in the world are we going to make this podcast happen? Because you were going to the office all the time. It was a challenge for you to record. You'd like bring your equipment or you forget your microphone and it'd be like drama. And we would like, and now you're just like, it doesn't matter. Cause you just, we can all work from home and redesign our lives to do it this way. And even I agree with you, like on the travel piece, even now that stuff is coming back for live, I'm like, do I have to go? Yeah, do we have to wait? A, like Jeb just the other day asked me, "Is like, are you going to Wisconsin in June? I'm like, yeah. Do you want me to move it? Like, <laughs> they won't go virtual. Damn it. <laughs> we're making, yeah. more, we're making more money by staying virtual. Yeah, that's definitely. Yeah. I bet Meredith, how, how many people have you spoken to that have said they're making more money and that's actually really a big benefit to be virtual now and shift. Oh, I mean, I think one of the other things is that we're spending a lot less money. I mean, our dry cleaning bills have gone down. We're not having people over for dinner parties. You know, we're, um, I just look at that. It's not only that I made more money, but I spent so much, um, so much less, you know, when you travel and you're on the road all the time, you tend to spoil yourself and say, I deserve a good night out, you know, for dinner or something. I'm tired. I'll just hire somebody to do that. And um, I just think there's just been so much upside. People have spent so much time with their families. And for some people, that's a good thing. <laughs> We've spent a lot more time outdoors, which is which is really, really good um, for us. So much less traffic on the road, so much less congestion, congestion, and so much less stress that you feel like you have to do things. I mean, my guilty pleasure has been, I haven't had to have people to dinner in a year. I'm so <laughs> happy about that. Yeah, I've kind of figured out that as much as well, yesterday I actually went to a big event. Uh, it was a, a ribbon cutting ceremony for a real estate office, and there was tons of people there. It was one of the one of the first events that I've been to with a bunch of people. And I, I got pulled up in my car, and I was like, I kind of don't really actually like these kind of things, but let's be let's put on our smile. And it turned out really well. But I, I have found that I really don't. My circle has has compressed and gotten a little smaller and this virtual thing, thankfully I'd been using zoom for years prior Mm -hmm. to all of this. So I'm very comfortable with it, but it's definitely, it's become such a time saver too. I can schedule, I can schedule where I I have one lunch meeting with a potential partner 
I can schedule like 10 of them in an hour of just like, hey, yeah. let's hop on for five minutes for me to do da, da. It should tomorrow I've got back to back training sessions and I'm like, I'm cutting it super close. Now, one session I'm co-training with another one of my colleagues at Sales Gravy and I'm like, hey, I got to jump off five minutes early. <laughs> can you just, can you wrap it up? Because I have to be at U.S. Mortgages training at noon. So, so Rachel, could you get there before me? So like you could I, just. I was like, about to suggest I could get there early and talk about how great you're about to be. And that you're hopping off of some giant important training before you get there. Right, Roger that. But before, you know, I couldn't do that, you know, before I couldn't bounce yeah. from training to training. And I even see what happens with us at sales gravy um some of our trainers are more veteran trainers have been there a while like they're 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 like non-stop in training delivery right it's just like non-stop and you couldn't have done that before if you're getting on a plane and even like every time i have to get on a plane i'm like good just lost four days what am i missing yeah. out on during that four-day interval I feel like a lot more people are being reached as well because example for some of the sales training situations that you're being hired for right now, it's sometimes hard to get people to commit because they have other stuff going on and they got to show up somewhere. But if the nowadays people are generally sitting at their desk at their computer and they just, oh yeah, there's that meeting right now, hop on. And so I think in, it seems to me like you're able to reach more people doing it virtually. Yeah, most of the conferences I've spoken at, their attendance has been up. And the reason is because you didn't want to really take two or three days off to attend something. And the price yeah. was, you know, by the time you get a hotel and you eat out and everything. And now I think that, um, you know, people are realizing, well, I can go, I can go to that. And so it'll be interesting to just see what companies and associations find is the balance yeah. for it, um, for it going forward. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm sure you're seeing the same thing. One of the things I've been seeing lately is the blend. Um, and this is a great segue into talking about you being at Outbound. You know, Outbound is going to be a blend of virtual and in-person. I know I'm speaking at an event in October that is going to be a blend of virtual and in-person. And I, I, you know, I think we're going to see more of that as an option to grow your audience even bigger. What have you seen in your own world? Yeah, so pretty much, um, I think the terms um, virtual and live are going to go away. And the only term we're going to have left is hybrid. Uh, you know, so I started going, I think um, I have a speaking engagement um, in Minneapolis in May. I've got another one in, uh, in the Carolinas in June, both of which are quote unquote live, but they're hybrid. You know, so there is nowhere I'm speaking as I look at the fall and everything is really coming back on um, gangbusters. Everything is doing a virtual option. So I just think we're going into the hybrid world. I think sometimes um, I'll fly in and maybe have 30 people in the audience with 600 viewing mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And then, then, you know, depending on people's comfort level, it may be a little bit more flipped around, but I think I will always be talking to an audience and be talking to a camera. Will you be live or virtual at Outbound? I will be live Yay. at Outbound, for yeah. sure live at Outbound. As much as I can be live, I want to be um, uh, live. I've gotten so careful and I mean, so comfortable with talking into the little dot in the camera <laughs> and doing all that type of stuff. But um, but there is just something about the energy of, yeah. of a live event and, um, and especially something like Outbound. Outbound is always 
Outbound is just a conference at a whole nother level. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. How many times have you have you been to Outbound and spoken? This will be time number three for me at Outbound. Yay! And what can we what can we expect? What are you going to be presenting? So this time at Outbound, I got to tell you, I am more excited about what I'm speaking about at Outbound than I have ever been excited about what I'm speaking about at Outbound. So. Um, uh, I'm going to be speaking about my new book and my new groundbreaking research um, called Uncertainty Redefined, Turning Uncertainty into Your Competitive Advantage. But it is, um, you know, a couple of years ago when the economy was rocking, um, I just became obsessed with the word uncertainty because everybody I would speak with would be talking about how good business was, but oh, this uncertainty. And it was like uncertainty is a hindrance to growth. Even when the economy is good, we lose precious time, energy, and resources worrying about what mm-hmm. if. And so I just started to think, what would happen in your company if you flipped the script on that? If you actually got excited about the fact yes. that you didn't know what was going to happen, if you got excited about disruption. And so I started kind of, um, looking for companies that had done that. I discovered nine that have been in business since the late 1700s, early 1900s. They are still here thriving today. And then the pandemic hit. And I was like, holy moly, I was just trying to help people get through an economic downturn and score. I found companies that have been through a pandemic and they are headed into pandemic number two and they're still rocking. And from that, I wrote my proven nine-step formula for thriving in uncertainty, whether uncertainty is a pandemic, whether it's a new competitor, whether it's regulation, whether it's a supply chain issue, it doesn't matter. This is the formula you use. And this is the formula that works. Okay. So this book is available right now because I need it. <laughs> it. Yes. I will send you both yes. a signed copy. Oh my it. gosh. That would be so wonderful. It comes out officially in June. Oh, nice. I've got some serious uncertainty going on. It actually like when you said, when you said that, Oh, I'm so excited. I would love to have it. When you said that, I was like, that's me because I have a couple of pretty big like fires about to explode into forest fires. And it's exciting to me. And I was just saying this morning to somebody that I'm acquiring one business from someone else who's been around for 25 years. And she said to me the other day, she's like, well, you need to be careful because you just don't really know about this and this and that. And I'm like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." and I'm like, I'm so excited about that because you don't see my vision. I have this vision of how it's going to be. And because I have that vision, it's going to be that way eventually. That's exactly right. It might not be that way immediately. It's going to be that way eventually if I keep my vision and just go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uncertainty can be scary, but if you... Like you just said, Meredith, if you just go, well, gosh, I could also get hit by a bus tomorrow and everything could end. So whatever. <laughs> so my Or I could win a million dollars. Or it could all work out even better than I imagined. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it was so interesting. Um, first of all, so I wrote the book in sections. And the first section I call a history lesson that you'll love. And what I say about that is, is that the fact that we have been here a thousand times in our history. In fact, we think going through a pandemic is bad. When I was was researching the world wars, imagine being around and trying to grow a business when you don't even know if we're going to win, when you don't even know if our way of life is going um, going to exist. And then I write the second section on the story of these nine companies and what they have come through is so motivating and how they came out the other side. And you get a strategy with each one of them to get to the nine. And then the last section of the book I wrote, I thought, 
well, gosh, the Great Depression didn't end at five o'clock and you went home and, <laughs> and had dinner with your family. You had to deal with uncertainty in your personal life. So the last part of the book is written about how to apply the strategy to just the uncertainty that we deal with, you know, every day. But um, but again, we, re- we did the research report to further prove it. And most people get stuck in the face of uncertainty. They don't know what to do. And I wanted to write the strategy of don't stress out anymore. This is exactly what you do. And you do this over and over again, and you're going to go to a level you didn't even realize was possible. This is so, so yummy. There's something that I I talk about when I'm teaching anything improv-based, like my what to say when you don't know what to say workshop or spontaneous selling. And there's a slide in my presentation that says solicit failure. Mm. And people look at me like, so can you like, can you really break that down? What do you mean solicit? And I'm like, yeah, well, you've heard fail forward. You've heard embrace failure. I'm talking about downright soliciting it. And they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, break it. Look to break things. Look to like fail on purpose. Not like just mm-hmm. embrace that you fail, mm-hmm. fail on purpose because it's in the breaking of something that you create something new. It's that excitement that you talk about. Like we're the three of us are wired for like, hell yeah, give me uncertainty because magic comes out of the uncertainty, but it is a mindset. Yeah. You know, one of the things though, I feel that we're probably all really blessed with and what I've been trying to help people with who aren't blessed with that is that um, I am not personally, I'm not blessed with perfection. There's not a bone in me. That is that. So I'm really okay with, with failure. I assume I'm going to dust myself back up and, yeah. you know, and go again. The very first time I did a LinkedIn live, I said on the air for like two minutes, completely black, no camera, no doing anything. And one of my friends said, weren't you embarrassed? And I said, do you really think that's the most embarrassing thing I've ever done? I mean, being, being on LinkedIn live for two minutes in the dark is nothing yeah. compared to the to the moron I've made out of myself, both personally and professionally. But I do think that that it's um, that it is that it is in that that you learn and you have to get comfortable. Um, you have to get comfortable with failure and realize that it is that it very much is part of it. I mean, it really are. Our entire country was built on uncertainty. I mean, from the the yeah. moment they got on those ships and were like, I, I mean, there maybe there's something out there, but it, but maybe not. Here, here we, we will go. we be able to grow food? Where will uh, yeah. we live? What it's will like we going do? to another planet. It's like, let's fly to the moon and see what happens. And even when they got to the States, like when the people were going out West, like, let's see what happens. And <laughs> It is. It's actually more fun to approach it that way rather than that scare, like, oh, God, what if it goes all wrong? And then it's and really psychology says if you worry that it's going to go wrong, it will go wrong. Oh, yes, completely. Your your brain is going to pull yourself at that. It's interesting, that whole analogy of like coming over here, you know, and creating the country. Uh, And that continues to go on because I think about the stories my mother told me about coming here from Germany. And, Mm. you know, they were on a ship, right? They were coming on the ship and they came into into New York and they saw the Statue of Liberty of like just, you know, all of that kind of magical kind of stuff. But before they got here, before the journey, all they heard, because it's before the interwebs, all they heard was that there were cowboys and Indians running in the streets and that it was just, you know, wild and they were going into a wild country 
and, and you know, what'll happen will, will happen. But they, but they did it. They still got on the ship because they're like, well, the cowboys and Indians have to be better than what we're dealing with. <laughs> right. Again, it's, it's right. that mindset. Can you share with us? Cause now you've, you've tantalized us. Can you share with us a story about one of those companies? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm so happy okay. to. You're gonna be you're gonna be hard pressed to get me to shut up. Good. Um, but, but this is my favorite story um, from uh, from the book, and that is the fact that in the middle of a um, pandemic, in the middle of uncertainty, in the middle of a challenge, you can make money and you can grow your business. It is a myth that people are not buying, and it is a myth that they are not spending. But they are only spending with businesses and with people who are relevant. So the strategy that goes with this is we call it securing your base. In the middle of an uncertain marketplace, you grow from the inside out. It's not about going and acquiring new business. It's about focusing on your existing customers. And the reason is because, first of all, you need to be loyal to them. They have been loyal to you. And so the story goes that what you want to do is reach out to your existing customers with no premise of selling them a certain anything. You're just going to reach out, check in, and see how they're doing. Tell me how things are going. How did 2020 leave you? Where are you focused in 2021? What's your obstacle to getting there and why? And then listen, really listen. They're not only going to be so grateful that you listened, but they're about to give you the biggest gift that you need in the middle of a pandemic. They're going to tell you exactly what their challenges are and exactly what their problems are now, because what you sold before the uncertainty and what you sell during the certainty and after this uncertainty has to be different. And you need to listen to customers and, and, and use their language to grow your business, to redefine your purpose, your products, and your services. Procter & Gamble, one of the companies that I researched for the, um, for the book, is, is the greatest example of this. Procter & Gamble was started by two men in the um, early 1800s, two men who married sisters, Procter & Gamble. One sold candles and one sold soap, and they competed for animal wax. Their future um, animal fat, their future father-in-law said, boys, quit competing and form a company. And Procter & Gamble was born. Now, they believed that to grow a business, you had to, before you ever sold a product, you needed to talk to customers. So the very first product they wanted to sell was soap. It was the very first product they were going to brand under Procter & Gamble. Now talk about a commodity. I don't care what anybody listening to this podcast sells. Soap has got to be the hardest thing to differentiate yourself with. But true to form, they knew they had to be relevant. So before they ever developed the soap, they went out to customers and they said, tell us about soap. What do you think about soap? What do you, you know, what do you like? What do you not like? And what they discovered was people loved soap. People were willing to buy soap, but there was a problem with soap. And the problem with soap was when you lathered up, it would slip out of your hands and it would fall to the bottom of the bathtub. And people wanted a soap that floats. Procter & Gamble did not hire a fancy marketing company, did not change one word of the language their customers gave them. They injected air into a bar of soap, put ivory soap on the market. And for any of us who are old enough to remember, the tagline for ivory soap was a soap that floats. So while their competitors were selling soaps that smelled good, soaps that came in different colors, soaps that came in different sizes, 
Procter and Gamble let their competitors solve the wrong problem while they solved the relevant mm. problem. And by the end of the 1800s, wow. they were a million dollar company. Wow. You just gave me shivers. I know, me too. I've got like goosebumps. I am so using this for what I was just talking about. Like that's the key is just call the customers and, and ask, what's going, what do you love? What do you think needs fixed? I have been, since COVID has started, I have been surveying my customers every three months. Nothing fancy, nothing formal. I just send out a couple of um, survey monkeys to 10 or 12 people and I'll say, tell me what you're focused on. What's the biggest challenge now? What's working in your business? What isn't working in your business? And I listen. You know, there's a, there's a piece on my website called Emerge Successful. And if you tap that bar, it's full of all of these free resources. Every piece of content I create, everything I write is based off questions or information I hear from my customers. That's how I really defined the book, you know, is I listened. It's what me, when people say to me, oh my God, how timely. Well, I'm not a genius. All I did was listen. What's the biggest problem people were facing today? It was how to deal with uncertainty. I could solve that problem. And if I solve that problem, I'm relevant. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Drop Boom. the mic. And like I said, that's just the, every strategy in here is like that. You go, oh my God, that makes sense. You know? Um, and so, but that's, it's just my favorite is that it's, and Procter and Gamble, like I, I chart them down through the years. They have been, every time they come to market with a brilliant product and beat out their competitors, like during the Great Depression, they developed Drift uh, laundry detergent, which was a cheaper laundry detergent, which many of us remember. Well, the only reason they developed it is they went to people and said, during a Great Depression, what are you willing to still, still spend money on? And people said, detergent, but I can't pay the price of what you have out there. Okay, we can solve that problem. You need to be relevant. And if you're relevant, you, when you use the language of your customers, your customers believe you understand them and people buy from you because you understand them, not because they understand you at all. They don't care at all about you. But the moment that you use their language, they go, wow, Meredith gets me. She's different than everybody else who's trying to sell to me. There's so much goodness in in everything that you're saying. There's just so much goodness. This is common sense of the listen. I did the same thing last year. I I'm, I'm not consistent on the serving like you are, but that was one of the first things I did was pick up the phone and yeah. start calling people and going, "What's going on? What are you doing? What's happening? What do you need?" When we come out of this, how do you see this? And how do you see training happening? And I got so much great data from that. And to your point, hearing it in their words, things like, you know, we don't know if we're going to do training. We know we're going to need it, but we don't know if we can get it approved. We do know one thing. We're spending a lot of money on attorneys and there's a big line item in the budget for consulting. So if you could come back to us with a consulting package, right? It was like, oh, right. Those little like pieces of like, I'm not going to sell them training. I'm going to sell them coaching, uh, consulting, but I will give them training. Right. It's like listening to those things and then hearing the message. That's something else that I run into on a regular basis. I just talked to Jeb about that this morning. There's such a need for people to know how to message. And, yes. and, and in the messaging, you cannot message if you do not understand your customer and what is their problem to solve, 
right? And I've seen so much of this. I'm sure you have too. It's like they see a big surface problem as a salesperson, but they're not seeing the bigger thing that keeps people up at night to really drill down, to speak in the language, and then to be able to bridge the solution back. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the middle of an uncertain marketplace too, we underestimate how much people need to be heard. You know, they're overwhelmed, they're tired, they're confused. And just the very fact that you're asking those questions, they're grateful that somebody's willing um, uh, to listen uh, to them. Someday I'm going to write about listening because I think it's one of the most undervalued uh, skills um, out there, but you get so much gold. I mean, the, the thing you need right now is to know what the problem is that your customer is facing. And the three of us can't sit here in a room and figure that right. out. We may know the exact problem, but we will never language it correctly right. without talking to the customer. And the gold is in the language. Yeah. I had to move to my other legal pad to put notes over here. <laughs> I'm like legal pad central because I had a meeting with a bunch of the key stakeholders for this company. And, and that what I got from that meeting was communication, more communication, better yeah. communication. And to Gina's point about messaging to find out how, how do people want to be communicated with in today's world, there's like, email and calls and texts and Facebook messenger and LinkedIn and like a hundred different ways. And everybody likes different things. So that's a really good question too. Like how, which channel you have to put the work in and I'm sure Meredith will uh, agree. You have to put the work in to find out how they want to be communicated with. And that's work period. There's no cookie cutter approach. Yep. Yeah. You have to be used to, you have to be willing to do multiple. I think there's not a single company I do a strategic plan for that communication does not come up as an yep. issue. And here's Meredith's theory about this. I've not researched it. I have no factual way to back it up, but I tell you I'm right. Is, um, is the reason communication is a problem is because we think communication is about communicating to people. What people want is to be heard and to be asked. And it is a huge missing component of communication. It comes up as a problem again, because people are being told what to do all the time. They're never being asked and brought into the conversation. hundred percent. When we had that meeting, I just mentioned all of, uh, all of the management, we were, they were like, what are we going to say? Who's going to talk first? And I said, I said, these stakeholders don't actually care what we have to say. They have burning questions. All we have to do is say, Hey, here's the general plan. We know you guys have tons of questions what are they? And that's it. And that's exactly how it went down. Like they have tons of questions and you got to just let listen, like you were just saying. And most people are worried about what am I going to say? You know, I'm (laughs) curious, Rachel, when you did that, which by the way, I haven't told you this, I got some feedback about that meeting that you had. Really? Yeah, because I know peoples and uh, I know peoples that was at that meeting. And I'm curious what you what you learned from the questions that were asked. Well, number one that I learned, as I mentioned just a little bit ago, was it seemed like the common thread was that there needed to be more communication, more transparency in what was going on, and um, more efficiency in operations. Mm. And... That was really what, that's the most that I got from it. There was a lot of this and a lot of that. And and also, I believe, 
and one person mentioned it to me afterwards that, and that's why I was scribbling over here that I need to call every single one of the stakeholders and, and just listen, because I think that in that environment with all the, the different stakeholders there at the same time, as well as like former management and new management, I think there was a lot of people that have questions and comments that didn't feel comfortable in sharing it with everybody else around for fear of how yeah. they would be perceived from their actual personal things. So that's what's so genius about what you said, Meredith, is just call. I'm like, I need to find a scheduled time to call all these people and say, hey, tell me how you feel about this and what's working. What, what, what can I, what would you like to see change? You know, it's going to be a gold mine. It is. And, and again, um, just listen, it's funny. I was doing a speaking engagement the other day and somebody said, how much of your content do you base off of what, you know, your customers are telling you and how much do you, you know, come up with and everything on your own? I said, I base a hundred percent off what I said, anything that I would create that is not something I heard somebody else ask about is wasted content. Mm -hmm just me pontificating about what I think is important. And even if I'm right, it doesn't matter. If I can't language it back in the way that they asked me, um, then, then they're not going to hear it anyway. Yeah. I just, um, I just did a, a training session last week with some of our clients and I delivered all the content and then I had said I would stay late. I would stay past the time to answer questions or lay things out differently for them. And what happened in that last 30 minutes was gold because they were they were confused a little bit about some of the stuff that was presented. And they're like, oh, we're just, we're, we're really, we're still, we don't know how to do this, how to... They, you know, I gave them the content, but they still couldn't wrap their hands around how to do it. And so I'm like, all right, I dragged my whiteboard over. I'm like, let's just, let's just make this simple. And I just started drawing a chart on the whiteboard and I'm like, boom, boom, boom. Just like, I go simplify it for yourself and just do it like this. And they're like, oh, the last 30 minutes of this session that wasn't a session was the best part of the session. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I put it in their language and then I actually brought that back to the powers that be. And I said, I think, I think there's something here, which now got put back on me to create, um, which, yeah. which is fine. <laughs> but but it, to the point is, is listening to what, what the client is asking for, listening to what they need or listening, answering the questions for them that maybe we're not necessarily delivering everything to them. We're still delivering great, but maybe there's one more piece that they want and we don't know about it. This is where right. the magic happens to create new stuff. Yeah. You know, the, the, it just reminds me of another piece of it. Another piece of it too, is the fact that don't do it once and think you're done. I mean, another strategy um, in that comes close to the end of the strategies is, is called shed fast and keep moving because the problems that I was solving in March of last year are not the problems I'm solving in July are not the problems that I'm certainly solving in 2021. Um, I give the example of the fact that I, in, um, in February of 2020, I was calling on a large health care company to start doing some work with their sales team. And at that time, they were growing like crazy and they really needed, they were struggling to get in the door with the C-suite. Then the pandemic hit and getting in the door with the C-suite was not something they were physically going to do anymore. We couldn't go to trade shows. We couldn't go to networking events. So immediately I had to start to solve the problem of how to sell in a virtual world, how to get them up to speed with that. So then we worked on that problem for a while and then boom, 
a change in administrations and Biden came in and so much money went into the budget for the healthcare um, industry. And now they're having to triple the size of mm. their, um, their sales team. And so I have had to shift the problem I am solving consistently. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm still helping them with virtual. I'm still helping them, you know, get to the C-suite and everything. But what is uppermost in my client's mind, I need to stay on top of so that he sees me as the one he wants to do business with over my competitors. I constantly need to be understanding him. So shed fast and keep moving is all about objectively looking at your business and asking yourself what's working, what isn't. Um, what do I need to keep doing? What do I need to stop doing? And what do I need to adjust and and add? Um, but you, but it's a constant. You can't do something and decide. Oh, I know my customer's problem, or I'm gonna I'm gonna you know use the telephone and that's gonna work because it is it is a moving target constantly. Hundred percent, and and even seasonally for certain companies, they have different needs. It, the, Q1, they have different needs in Q4. There's different focus that shifts. For de- definitely. And, and I, in a time when, quite frankly, for any tactical thing, your customer can solve that problem themselves. They can Google it. They can get the answer. They can order the problem. What they need from you is to be one step ahead. And the only way you can start to be one step ahead is to consistently understand the challenge. You need to understand their industry better than they do. And then they'll say, we need you. Yes. <laughs> Where do we sign? <laughs> and you seem very, you seem very different than any of your um, competitors. I really think everything is so ripe for the picking right now, because the biggest challenge that I see is, is that people are doing things exactly how they have done them since the, before the pandemic happened. And, um, and so much has shifted. So if you wake up to that, if you start to do things differently, not only do you get the bump that the strategy would give you, but you're, you're leaps and bounds ahead of your competitors. Yeah. And everybody keeps talking about, well, I think they're talking about it less, but like this time last year, they were like, yeah. oh, I can't wait till we get back to normal. And then people hate hating on the phrase, the new normal. And the fact yeah. is that there isn't really actually a new normal yet. It's just a constant shift of, as you mentioned earlier, in terms of conferences and things, it's not ever going to go back to that because now we've found alternatives that work better in some ways. So why not create a hybrid in the way that business is done or create? Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, I think that there are, as far as people worrying about going back to a new normal and what they're talking about, you know, I got up this morning and the first thing I heard on the news is that there's, you know, they're, they're, there's a problem with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine and there goes the stock market and there goes the, you know, down comes people's um, optimism about how much we're going to reopen. And what I thought to myself is this is the roller coaster on which we live and you need to learn to navigate. Um, that, you know, we're no longer going to go back to living on the prairie and it takes seven days for a note to get to me (laughs) that says I need to change something. I can get that in, you know, in less than a second. And so the moment I turn on the news, my world changes. And so you have to learn to, you have to learn to navigate that. Yeah. Here's a note, everybody. We are not Laura Ingalls. (laughs) We are not Laura Ingalls. We are not living on the prairie. There's yeah. a few notes that I wish would take seven days. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> 
<laughs> Here's a note. Stop yeah. listening to the news. I mean, <laughs> no I, I, I have no idea what's going on in the world. I get questioned on the vaccine all the time. And what am I going to do? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I haven't had time to research it. <laughs> I'll get it. Oh, you got to do it. I'm like, all right. Okay. Back off. Okay. Let me, let me research it. Let me see what's going on. Uh, but to your point, it's, you know, a, it's we, we have to have more emotional control. Yeah, you have to um, you you have to focus on what you can control. I mean, to me, the biggest if I learn anything from success is that it's not logical. Um, you yeah. know, I, I study successful people. I'm obsessed with them, too. Like, why to why does somebody who never got out of the third grade get to a point of reaching a billion dollars and somebody who, you know, has graduated from Harvard and got an MBA from Yale struggle to, you know, to to hold a teaching job? I, I'm blown away by it. And what it comes down to is really what you choose to focus on. Do you focus on what you can control? Do you let go of the, you know, of the rest? I mean, you need to put two circles, what, what, um, you know, what matters and what you can control and where those two cross is where you need to focus your time and your energy and everything else you have to forget about. Before we start wrapping up this episode, is there one piece of advice that you could give people on how to handle uncertainty or how to embrace uncertainty or just one thing about uncertainty that gives them hope for those who really struggle with this. Yeah. You know, it really comes back to something that, um, that Rachel said. And, um, when you find out about these strategies, you're going to know that they need to be done in, um, in order. Um, there's a compounding effect if you do them in order. And my biggest piece of advice is that if you want to come through uncertainty, um, you really need a vision and you need what I call a relentless vision. You need to have a picture of what your life and your career and your business are going to look like when this pandemic is over. And I'll just tell you a really quick short story about this. And there's a story of a bunch of kids going on a whitewater rafting trip a few years ago in Northern California, and they planned it forever. Luck would have it. There was a downpour um, the week before they were supposed to go down the river, taking the class two and three rapids to class five rapids and telling the kids they really shouldn't go, but they pushed and they begged and the guide gave in. The guide said, you can go on this trip as long as you sit through a three hour safety talk. Now we have all sat through those safety talks with um, whitewater raft trips. They're 15 minutes. We don't pay attention. We jump on the river, but this guide was so serious. And she said, I am going to tell you about every down tree, high water, big rock you are going to face on this river. But as much as I focus on those obstacles, I am immediately going to point you to the positive point, the vision, the place where the raft needs to go. And she said, the reason for that is because I need to make you aware of the obstacles. But if you focus there, you're going to hit those obstacles, obstacles, you're going to get stuck and you're going to flip this raft. If I make you aware, you'll get around them, but immediately your eyes will focus on the positive point and the raft will be pulled there like a magnet. Our businesses and our lives are the same way. You need to have a relentless vision. Every morning when I get up, first thing I do is make a cup of coffee and I look at these cards. These are my relentless vision. This is what my finances, my health, my life is going to look like a year from now. At noon, I read those cards again. And before I go to bed at night, 
I read those cards one last time. Why? Because I want my mind focused on this. This has blown my mind more. There are two things on here that if you'd have made me bet every ounce of savings I have, they never would happen. I would have told you that I, I would have taken that bet in a second. And this past year, both of them came true. And so I divide my life into my health, my finances, my relationships, my spirituality, and my career. And for each of those, I just have a vision. And I am talking a crazy ass vision of what I want to achieve. And I fill my mind with that. Um, you have to have that. that. That is the starting point. None of my other strategies don't even try to be relevant in the marketplace if you didn't get this one first. And do not put it on your wall and forget about it. I need you to read it and I need you to think about it at least three times a day. Get it so ingrained in there that your body is so wired it can't go anyplace else but there. Oh, this is like, this has got to be the best part of this. I mean, there was so much good stuff in this episode, <laughs> but I mean, I think that is like the way to like go out with a bang on this episode, Meredith. Um, what, what were the categories of those cards again? Yeah. So they are your health, your finances, your relationships, your career, and your spirituality. Now, why do I say all of those categories? Again, this is one of these, I didn't find this in the research for the book. This is stuff according to Meredith, who hasn't researched this at all, but who is right, <laughs> is that these are these are the major buckets of yeah. your life. And if your relationships are off the chart healthy, but your finances are a mess, you're never going to achieve. And your finances don't have to be clean. You don't have to be in the best relationship. You don't have to have ultimate spirituality. You just have to get real with yourself on, you know, where are you on this? And if you're in the tank financially, no big deal, but set a goal to start to work on it. And once you get that balance within you, and once you start to have the goals of achievement there, you just start to get pulled in that direction. And this is what you focus on. Forget about the rest. If you don't remember anything else from me from this podcast, success is not logical. I could have um, more money, more opportunities, a better education, and more connections than either Gina and Rachel. But if they focus on what they can control, and they forget about the rest, and I focus on what I can't control, they are going to succeed and I will not. So what I just told you, I don't want you to miss this, is the number one thing you need to be successful, you have 100% control over. I think that's so powerful. I love it. And she <laughs> gave us the title for this episode, Success is Not Logical. Oh, I love yeah, that. Yes. That will be the that will be the title of this. Episode. I wrote that down too. I, I, so uh, is there so in those cards you have a card for each one of those? Yes. Uh, I have a yeah, I have a line for each okay. one of those. Yeah. You should be producing your vision cards that you sell and mass produce. I, I should be. I should have a product, my little vision. Maybe I'll do that. You're so smart. I like the little colors I'll, too. I'll call them success is not logical cards. I think cards. you should. I think that's a, I think I I think that's a cool little thing. That's a thing that to, yeah. to give out to people that, I mean, people love that stuff. People love that stuff. And I want, you know, again, if, if I could be on a little soapbox in downtown preaching this stuff, to me, this is like the word of God, baby. I need, I want people to redefine how they think about uncertainty mm -hmm. and see the positive in it because life is just full of shit and you have to learn to navigate your way through it and you need a path and you need a strategy to do it. And you can, it is, it is through adversity 
that we really come out so much better than we ever could. Amen. And the three of us definitely know that. If you want, you can bring a soapbox. Um, maybe yes. maybe Procter and Gamble <laughs> makes a soapbox yeah, and right. one, that one that floats, and we could go somewhere in downtown Atlanta. And and sell your cards and sell your cards, get on the soapbox (laughs) and we will be there with you. Um, Speaking of that, we um, the women your mother warned you about will be live streaming from outbound. um, I think on Wednesday and Thursday and we're going to we don't know what we're doing yet, but we have to come up with a plan. We'll improvise, but we will be on stage during lunch for 90 minutes and we will be doing panel discussions. So I haven't run this by Rachel, but I, I think we should officially propose to Meredith and ask her to be on one of those panels. I would so love to do Sweet. it. Yes. Awesome. So you heard I'm it in. here. You heard it here. Meredith is going to be part of the Women Your Mother Warned You About live stream at Outbound. Um, we apparently are the Oprahs of Outbound. But I don't know if I told you, I don't know if I told you this, Rachel, but um, there's a certain Australian woman, Belinda, who um, yeah. who Jeb has dubbed um, the um Oprah from down under. So he's he's playing oh. the Oprahs right now. So um, oh, that's a smart man. I'm just glad to be an Oprah. <laughs> and also, at, when Meredith is on our panel, she'll be taking pre-orders for her success is not logical cards. <laughs> I will. Yes. She'll take she'll that. take your email address and a pre-order amount to be determined. <laughs> hey, speaking of which, if you want to pre-order those cards that we just told Meredith to produce. <laughs> <laughs> Meredith, where where can people, you know, it gets wild here. Where could people reach out to you to order those cards or talk to you or get your or the next book. book or any of the things? Yeah. So um, they can reach me at valuespeaker.com, just the words valuespeaker.com. I would love for people to text the word redefined, text the word redefined to 66866, and you can take my Thrive Indicator quiz. So redefined to 66866 and figure out where you fall on the Thrive Indicator um, quiz and give you a few strategies to get you started on your journey. I tend to live on uh, LinkedIn, so you can find me uh, there. I am chock full of free tools and resources, and one of which is you can get uh, your hot little hands on a copy of that uh, research report, The State of Uncertainty and How It's Impacting American Business. Please. I do too. Who doesn't love a Fun. quiz? I'm definitely going to text you to do your, to do the, I love a quiz. I, I love, a, exactly. It has been even more delightful the second time around with you. Yeah, I've loved it. I think this, this episode is just filled with really great nuggets for all of our listeners. So thank you so much for being here with us again. And we can't wait to see you at Outbound. I will see you in Atlanta. Both of you send me a dress and I'll send you a copy of the book. Will do. Um, thank you again to Meredith and thank you Warners for listening to this episode of the Women Your Mother Warned You About sponsored by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco, uh, trainer at Sales Gravy. And if you want to find out more about me, you can go to all the places, womenyourmotherwarnedyouabout.com, ginatremarco.com, salesgravy.com, all the things. And Rachel? To find me, you can look for The Singing Lender dot com or that on any social media or for any fitness stuff 
ultrafitlifestyle.com and that on all the social channels. And if you really enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate if you'd share it with someone you know who might need to hear, especially about the cool cards that Meredith came up with and (laughs) all of the other nuggets. (laughs) So share this episode and help spread the love to more peeps. Awesome. We're out of here. Bye, Warners. This really will get serious soon. Yeah, don't... It doesn't have to. I don't think anybody wants it to be serious.